Welcome back to Tarot for the End of Times and part two of this conversation on spiritual friendship. This episode picks up right where we left off as we speak more explicitly about the Dharma of Tarot. How does the story about the fool's journey with Tarot mirror the story of the Buddha? What do meditation and divination have in common? And speaking directly to the themes of both the lovers and the world cards, what does it mean? To move from witnessing, W-I-T-N-E-S-S-I-N-G, to with-nessing, W-I-T-H-N-E-S-S-I-N-G. <laughs> A quick content warning before we proceed. There is brief mention of the Pulse nightclub shooting. We don't go into descriptive details about this. We're really just speaking more to the context it brings to this conversation rather than the actual content of the tragedy. It goes by relatively quickly, but I did want to ensure that you all were prepared for that. I want to thank you all again for joining us and inviting us into your practice in this way. And now, let's get on to the show. Speaking of dharma then, how does your dharmic practice support you in your ability to sit in the darkness with yourself, but Mm. also with other people without constantly like talking about yearning for the light? Mm. Well, a few pieces. The dharma itself is one component of of three, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And on a very like basic level, the story, the life of the Buddha is the first person story. It's a one's life experience that has, you know, been told over and over again, has touched many geographic regions and has continued to live on through people. Mm-hmm. The life of the Buddha is a first person story of this journey not of just going to the mountain and being alone but this journey of being in relationship with others in the mortal realm and it's been told and touched upon in in every in many many geographic areas and have lived on through the people that have embraced the beliefs i believe first person narrative is really powerful it's one of the things that helps strengthen memory and connection and there's something that um that I would say that many folks who follow the Buddha, the Dharma, Sangha, feel drawn or connected to it because they're able to make meaning about their own life experience with some basic principles and tenets that might support us how to navigate this world. This is old knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's not all written. It's mainly passed down and lived through. Mm Um, One of my teachers, Larry Yang, said, you know, when Buddhism lands somewhere, the cultures had made it in the image of themselves. Mm -hmm. That's why there's different names. That's why there's even different imagery for that. Yeah. Sorry, you asked me about Dharma and I'm I'm making Well, no, I mean, what you're saying is really interesting around like how the Dharma gets iterated across different cultures um, throughout different spans of time. And how each culture and community of people takes these very old stories, these very old narratives, archetypes, and principles, 
And because, you know, the Dharma is like essentially a first person narrative that's been told over and over again, right? To the point where it no longer sounds like a first person narrative anymore, but it ultimately is. Like, there's something about that piece where I'm like, oh, that sounds very much like tarot. Mm -hmm. How, like, over the course of centuries, um, how we turn to, you know, the basic principles of divination, the, well, <laughs> that's kind that of a broad stroke, but like you're taking like something like the, di the different archetypes. Yes. You're taking like a bunch of archetypes, um, that are applicable on so many different levels and using these stories and understanding your life as a story, as a way to understand like, oh, suffering is a part of this story if you were to remove suffering from amen it's emergencies there's something about how both your dharmic practice and tarot as like a, a community care kind of practice like there are a lot of bridges that kind of connect these two things together and i think one of the main things is like oh you're taking these archetypes you're taking these stories and you're using them as a way to understand how suffering plays out in both like you know this like cyclical way through patterns but also how it like appears in these unexpected ways like it did like for me in the mountains right mm -hmm. so so again how does dharma how does the dharma support you in yeah. being just being with the darkness yeah Well, the Dharma supports me in many ways. So one of those ways is just understanding and hearing the stories of the life of the Buddha. And then the teachings and principles that God gleaned from that life, that is the Dharma, the teachings and the wisdom. Mm. And then the third jewel is the Sangha, which is actually being in community. And that's the piece that actually really roots me here. So as a Dharma teacher, I am committed to this life of a bodhisattva. A bodhisattva is someone, a being, that instead of choosing full enlightenment, decides to stay in the mortal world mm. to support others in their own. Mm. And again, for me, I don't see enlightenment as a destination. Dharma supports me in creating moments of enlightenment moments of freedom that I get to have my full awareness and be present for to me the Dharma and my Dharma practices and particularly in Sangha which means actually the community itself mm -hmm. how I am in relationship to community and understand my interconnectedness at a very core and basic level the practices themselves help me and support me in mind heart and spirit to create more spaciousness more possibility in the world because there is so much more here and available to me if I can drop in into that sense of awareness and the sense of I am not actually alone ever mm -hmm. I am part of I belong to mm -hmm. while I want to honor my own and everyone else's sovereignty mm -hmm. to be in their bodies and move about around this world I do not separate myself or disconnect myself or think of myself as higher than or outside right of, of. Right. in many ways my Dharma practices supports me to be with right. with 
someone has talked about witnessing, but they actually talked, I remembered or being in a workshop and someone talked about witnessing. Mm -hmm. Like, can I be with myself? Can I be with my feelings? Can Mm -hmm. I be with this trigger? Mm -hmm. Can I be with someone else's? Can I be with the land? There's something about the practice of being with and the practice of mindfulness and meditation practices support me for those really heightened points of life, you know, that can feel like extremes. To be there and still feel rooted and not disconnected. Right. I love that distinction between witnessing and withnessing. There's a level of like, when I think of, you know, those two the differences between wit versus with when you are witnessing there's a certain level of like even though it is an act of community care it is an intimate thing to ask someone to witness to be witnessed right like we have to work on that vulnerability to be okay with that right in order to grow but there's a certain level of a certain degree of like separation with witnessing Right. Because it's cerebral. When I think about wit, I'm like, oh, your mind, Mm. the wit of your mind. There's so there's kind of like this cerebral quality to like, I am watching you, but from a distance. Whereas with with witnessing, W.I.T.H. Nissing, there seems to be this degree of like, I am in this also. That I am in this also. And there's, you, you shorten that distance between what somebody else is going through and how you have lived and experienced mm-hmm. this world. And of course, there are nuances that need to be discussed around like emotional boundaries and like psychic boundaries. And there is value in being able to practice observing without absorbing mm-hmm. other people's stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But there is also simultaneously this value of being able to go like, okay, I'm now practiced in the art of witnessing. How do I deepen this practice so that I can do this with people? I feel like the last card of the major arcana speaks to this. It's the world card, right? You start with the fool right? Which is kind of like this solitary figure, you know, going on a solo journey or whatever, you know, with their companion, with their dog. But then at the very end, you end up with the world and you are being witnessed or witnessed by these archetypes. You have like the lion, the eagle, blah, 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 blah. You have these different witnesses and you are, I think the process of going through the major arcana is about returning to your sangha, Mm. Mm-hmm. When I think about Sangha, I am claiming, I am owning that I'm on a spiritual path. And I am on that path, not alone. Right. My path is distinct and it's going to be nuanced. And there's also something really beautifully woven into the human experience when you hear a story that can be told and no matter the culture that it lands in when a story is told regardless for audiences out there something lands with them i love a good story that can capture the human experience that regardless of my individual my fool a story that is rich and timeless 
inevitably connects the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of the nature of things like archetypes, right? If we think of the Buddha as an archetype, um, just as we might think of like the high priestess or the magician as an archetype, these are archetypes that are derived from, you know, how people were being beings in this world. Mm. My meditation practice actually helps me in real time to one, come back to my breath and be reminded I am alive. And then two, to create more spaciousness for that pause. There is something about, while I can't control all the outcomes of the world, I may put my best effort, I may influence and do as many things possible. I can't control the world. Again, I'm gonna speak to one of my teachers, Larry Yang talks about the freedom is in the choice. Right. And so, while we don't know what is going to come up for us at any given moment, how I am, how I choose to respond, how I choose to be with, even with what may be arising internally with my own negative self-talk or shame spirals, as well as people around me, can I create more choice in the world? Right. Because I can't control everything, but if I can, if I can, be in that space to feel the freedom in making a choice, and know I can't control the outcomes, it allows me to sit in the darkness of the unknown. What choice do I have here? Right. And instead of just actually flipping the switch of our amygdala or survival brain, the one that just is like, oftentimes when activation or triggers or, you know, all of that arises, there are ways in which we inevitably are reacting to survival. Mm -hmm. And I think my Dharma practice has supported me in to understand where that switch turns on and also how to support myself in either understanding oh I'm really too close to that right now and I don't have capacity for that or oh that switch is on so what do I need now to really come down or to come into more of a regulated state and I feel like a lot of the time that's the choice point is like being knowing that even in the midst of all this shit that you can't control the fact that you still have some area where you can make choices i feel like that is such an important anchor when it comes to sitting in the dark is like you don't know what the outcome is going to be a lot of the time you can't control it you can see you know you can take a look at the energetics of it and be like, you know, this could happen. These are some possibilities, right? I think that's a lot of, when I think about the way that divination has been used as a survival tool, particularly um, oppressed groups of people to be able to make, to be able to create choices in situations where it seems like there are none. Mm. And I think that that's the, really the, mm -hmm. just the point for mm -hmm. me when it comes to tarot is, you know, yeah, sure, it's cool when you like, you know, say a thing and then like that thing happens and you're like, ah, my cards told me, you know, like that's that's fun. But like there's also this like really serious aspect of like, oh, no, like this is a survival tool. Like we needed to know what our choices were in moments where choices were constantly being taken away from us 
or obfuscated, right? Like we're put in the dark about what choices are actually available to us. And so we use these tools like the Dharma and the Sangha. We use these tools like divination in order to be able to find and like relocate our agency in, you know, on what while we're experiencing conditions where our agency is being threatened in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like our spiritual GPS mm-hmm. to a degree. It's like, oh, let me understand the terrain. A lot of what is at work is the unseen. The Dharma, it's not going to give you a specific answer. It's not going to give you the choice to make. It's not going to give you an answer. You can't just Google it. It's not going to tell you what you to do. You can't ask Siri. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, but it it's going to give you some sort of frame or lens. Can you see it through here? What does this say for you now? And what I appreciate about both modalities is it actually invites you to sink deeper into your experience. Right. And if anything, it supports me in cutting out the noise, which is sometimes myself. Sometimes I get in my own way. Of course, we all do. <laughs> and be like, yeah. oh, that was noise. Okay, what is this really about? Mm-hmm. What is the, let's distill and distill. Dharma and the mindfulness practices have really helped me expand what I think my heart can hold. Mm. What I think I need to protect it from, you know, and less afraid of, you know, really big emotions like disappointment for me, Mm -hmm. discomfort, Mm -hmm. even pain. Right. Particularly, I'm also just drawn to somatic practices when there are no words pre-verbal <laughs> you know and what so I mean? much of our trauma is it happens in this pre-verbal stage so there's such a necessity to do that healing work on a somatic level because like if something happens to you you know in a pre-verbal phase or that's like, how usually how you're processing too right then like it's hard to like address trauma verbally that you've experienced in a non-verbal way, way. and so whether it's movement in the body or some sort of somatic practices. There's this other way that I love about divination and tarot in particular is it uses imagery. And mm-hmm. again, archetypes of a story. Mm-hmm. You know, this archetype's story, this narrative here. And what about that life? What can you glean about that in your own experience? Right. Again, tarot is something that's old. It's lived on and like... It also, different authors have iterated the imagery that comes out for them or right. people collage their own cards, right. you know, it's like, what's the image? I'm accessing imagery and visualization and the story again. I'm a martial artist as well. So be, I had said, I remember at my first, one of my first belt tests, um, I was asked because a teacher knew I had a meditation practice. I was like, how does it support you? in your martial practice and I said well for me my meditation practice has helped me find the stillness in the movement of martial arts but my martial arts practice helps me find the movement in the stillness like while I'm sitting in my meditation practice I can observe all the things that are arising and choose to either, you know, hopefully the practice is embrace Mm -hmm. 
or also sit with the discomfort of like an aversion mm-hmm. you know and 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 just understand those feelings as feelings not good or bad not something i should or shouldn't but there is something about being able to just be there and be with them so when i'm in my sitting practice i actually see a lot of the movements and the like oh what it, what else is at play here the stillness in the move the the movement in the stillness and the stillness in the movement yeah well when you talk about like the stillness in the movement and the movement in the stillness i think a lot about how I receive information through the cards when I'm divining. Mm. You're looking at these pictures, right? And these are still images. These are still pictures, right? And so it's my job as the diviner to kind of see what is the movement that is happening from this card to this card to this card, mm. right? So the that's relationality. the right. So the choreography of these different cards, the movement in this cards, that's the story. That's the divination, and then. You know, the movement in that reading, right? Really, right, exactly. And that becomes the narrative, right? And then on the flip side of that, finding the the stillness in the movement, when you look at these cards and when you kind of pause from like moment to moment, in particular, I'm thinking about the minor arcana because the minor arcana is so much about like how do we live our day to day lives and like be in this moment of like right here and right now, the details, the details of it, right? And so when I think about the stillness in the movement, I think about the minor arcana and how it offers us these opportunities to, you know, bring sort of a meditative mindfulness to our day-to-day activities, Mm. to our day-to-day life. Mm. Um, You know, everyone gets really excited about the major arcana because these are these like big forces, right? And like, yeah, you got to know the major arcana to understand the minor arcana for sure. But there's something really special about the minor arcana in that it really honors the, um, to like quote one of my favorite books here, it really honors the sovereignty of quiet. Mm. It really honors like, you know, the, the way spirit moves in stillness and in quiet in these very like, you know, these like snapshot moments, right? Well, and you're, you're describing presence to bring a mindfulness to what you're experiencing right what does it mean to be present in a moment where you're dealing with something that is like completely outside of your control and that's why i love the major arcana like or like starting to work with that is like the major arcana is like these are things that you cannot control but it is just a part of the fool's journey these are archetypes spirits entities situations right that you encounter and part of the decisions and the choices that you make while encountering them, that is the spiritual conditioning. And who you decide to be in relationship with as you move through these different themes and energies and you know these encounters with these archetypes, that really matters. Mm-hmm. And I think over the last couple of years, particularly in the last three years, I've really learned like, oh wow, spiritual companionship it's not just like, oh, hey, do you like tarot? I like tarot too. Like, okay, you know, like I'm very um, private about so many other aspects of my practice. There's a reason why I don't do um, a whole bunch of like collective readings or do like big group services, not to knock practitioners who do, like we need practitioners 
who are skilled in that, who know how to do that. And for me personally, I am really mindful of the fact that like whoever it is that you bring along on your like Splash Mountain ride, right? To bring it full circle, those people are really going to matter because you might end up with people on your Splash Mountain ride who you know, do things like bring some like ponchos, right? Um, But then there are other people on the Splash Mountain ride who might literally like shove people off the fucking log so that they don't get wet or like hide behind other people, right? So who you bring along as spiritual companions, whether you are like, you know, doing a service for them or like working with them in some way, Mm. like it totally, totally matters. And I feel like in the last couple of years of my life, I've really just sunken into that, just a lot of acceptance around like, not everyone gets to come with you. Being with people who may have shared interest and even be engaging in a shared activity, that does not necessarily mean they're your companions. Exactly. I think also you're describing intimacy and I kind of think about intimacy as rings of a circle of a tree or even a constellation of planets Mm -hmm. that are orbiting each other. There are certain people or certain situations, you know, where you are actually working with more of your inner circle. Even for ourselves, like we've witnessed each other understanding we have an interest in these realms of the unknown or the unseen or these other expressions of how to make meaning about energy and what we're you know experiencing moving from interest to like I'm sharing about the experience or my learning and then moving into oh but we actually practice a kind of relational companionship while we are on our spiritual path we've grown in our intimacy um, around our spiritual practice right well and that's been a surprise to me because I didn't grow up in a particularly spiritual home I think I would describe my childhood upbringing as like spiritually eclectic I had a lot of different people around me who practiced a lot of different things my mom tried a lot of different things and I didn't actually think growing up that spirituality would be a really important factor in me deciding who my partner or partners would be in my life Mm, you know what I mean mm -hmm. and I think that if I'm being completely honest like there is a certain part of me that had this arrogance around like spirituality doesn't really matter or like you know Mm. I I just had this kind of air of just being very anti-religion anti-spirituality even though I was doing very like spiritual things privately you know, I remember for like a really big chunk of my my childhood, I wasn't taught how to do this or I wasn't taught to do this either. I think my mom was really intentional about being like, girl, you just you you do what you want to do when it comes to relating to spirit. But for me, I would pray and I didn't realize that what I was doing was prayer, but that's exactly what it was. And so now coming to this place in my life where I understand that basically everything that I do has some kind of like spiritual intention behind it is led by spirit in some kind of way some kind of capacity knowing that and being able to articulate like oh shit spirituality and connecting with other people on that level is now something that is very important to me 
And it's not to say that, again, like we are not walking the same paths, um, but I do feel like we're walking parallel paths. And I love that we get to embody and practice the archetype of the lovers, where there are these two people with two separate paths who are making a choice to join each other. Mm. And that's really the nature of Splash Mountain, (laughs) is I want to have a choice in which rides I'm on. I want to give other people the opportunity to choose whether or not they want to like go down Splash Mountain with me too. Mm -hmm. And there's also just a lot of pain and sorrow in realizing like some of these people who you thought were going to be your Splash Mountain buddies for life are not because they are on their own ride and are so focused on not getting wet that they can't come with you. Mm-hmm. They may not be the ones. They can't. They can't yeah. be the ones. And that is okay. That is okay. The relationship you're describing is actually, in essence, Kaliyama Mita, which is actually, you know, roughly translatable to naming or choosing one another as spiritual friends. Yeah. While there's so much different kinds of energy at play right now that I feel like basically change is coming or there's a lot of reckoning going on. We're reaching our max limit on a lot of things that are have been expired or just really need to be let go. Like what the US is in our Pluto, like that's return. literally your stop reading my mind. <laughs> Um, That is like literally what I was thinking. Yeah, this is we've been experiencing the U.S. Pluto return and this moment of judgment. Yes. The judgment card is ruled by Pluto. And that's a real that's a valid like we have to reckon with our past and also really be like, who are we about in this life? What do we really want? And people are choosing their different coping mechanisms or survival mechanisms right? I will never forget this. We had invited the board chair at East Bay Meditation Center. We invited Alice Walker for a speaking engagement, you know, a fundraiser, but it was actually after the pulse shooting in Florida. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just, we decided to, to still move forward and bring the community together. And of course it got named or brought up in a question. And I remember Alice Walker saying in that moment, well, you know what? I know I know one thing about all those people in that room, you know, is that if I know or I can take the lesson from a lot of folks in that room, I know that if I go out, I'm going to go out living. Mm. I'm going to go out living. And those souls there at the pulse, I know mm. that they were living. Mm-hmm. They're Ooh, choosing I just got full body chills. Right. Like, and but, it's hot as hell here. <laughs> <laughs> but what does it mean to mm-hmm. go out living? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but it's been interesting to me as much as maybe I even earlier I said, I want spiritual companionship. It's not even a wanting. My practices have really presenced me to the state of my relationships. And I feel like the relationships I'm being drawn to. The communities I'm being drawn to, the choices I'm making about where I put my time and my love, my beloved energy of service and care. I'm much more discerning about that and I think it's because I understand I there's a finite amount of time, you know, and uh, resources here. So how am I going to go out living? And I'm mm. being drawn to 
those people, those places, those energies that are actually supporting me creating a web, an ecosystem of spiritual companionship. Mm -hmm. Whether it be the the Dharma, the Buddha, the Sangha, what it actually I'm diving, you know, I'm building with community right now around plant medicine mm -hmm. and being much I've had this pull in the last three years to be connected to the earth as an urban dweller who does not own land how do I stay connected to place how do I honor place when I travel not just the people am I bringing gifts to the land am I saying thank you for doing the the, the labor mm -hmm. so that I can be here mm -hmm. I think going back to the hot springs it was like so much is at play here to make this moment happen let me be humbled by this let me be present to it yeah and oh my goodness i'm not alone i actually just got to experience this magic this abundance this sacredness with another human being so i know my my cells understand it's real and possible and so does yours and for me i'm, I'm not just trying to study and do all this to like feed my own intellectual appetites I'm actually doing this to find also my people and and find the mirrors and reflections of myself that support me and being like yes I I've lived if anything I want to take my last breath knowing I've lived and on that note Yeah, it feels good to be living this life with you, to be creating choices out of like seemingly nothing. And choices in the dark. And choices in the dark. And I, I just appreciate all the ways in which you honor my very legitimate concerns and reasons for being afraid <laughs> of going into the dark right. Absolutely. and yet can still turn towards me and say, and I'm with you. Yeah. I think uh, that's a really good note to end on. For now. For now. For now. <laughs> but in the meantime, I think we got to actually get the fuck out of this uh, Airbnb. Yeah. So, um, Thank you so much for sharing your practice with me, like in this conversation, but just in our daily lives. Mm, same. And I love you. <laughs> and I'm so glad mm. that we have found this kind of companionship and that we're able to do the spiritual work of learning how to be in secure attachment <laughs> <laughs> with each yeah. other and you know with others in the world at large mm -hmm. so thank it, you yeah thank you this is how these practices become real yeah for me it doesn't live in a book or live in the past it lives in my relationships with my connections right. to people place the world um, it's it's afforded me the biggest sense of belonging that I don't believe we could just we actually can get to you know alone well here's to witnessing mm -hmm. <laughs> all right thank you thank you
Thank you all for joining us for part two of Kalyana Mita for the End of Times. If you've made it to the end of this episode and are listening on Spotify, I invite you to leave any lingering thoughts, questions, and comments in the Q&A section of this episode and or the previous one. I want to thank every single person who has taken the time to like, share, and recommend this work with your respective communities of spiritual friends and accountability buddies. It truly helps to support this podcast and grow this community together. As always, links will be left in the show notes of this episode along with ways to support the work and keep this party going. In the meantime, please take good care of yourselves and each other, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now.